Welcome back to the Segmentist Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fritz. We're back with another fantastic episode for you. It is Tuesday, December 7th. We're getting toward the end of the year here, but there's still a lot to talk about, actually. Our, our, our run sheet for today is packed full. We've got more Patrick Lefevre news. Uh, you probably saw this. We're going to talk about him and his... Um, his sponsorship of a women's team. That's not one that I saw coming. We're going to talk about cyclocross a little bit. Another Anglo. Can you call an Aussie an Anglo? Is that, I guess that counts. Anyway, another English speaking <laughs> professional rider is making the switch to gravel. Talk about that in a little bit. And Peter Sagan has a somewhat unusual kit deal. That'll be at the end of the show. In today's Nerd Nugget, there are some potential e-bike incentives in the Build Back Better package that's coming through the U.S. Congress at the moment. We're going to talk about what those might mean for, well, for e-bikes in America. We've got most of the usual crew with us here today. Abby Mickey. Hello. Looking Hello. sprightly this morning, looking like you didn't just wake up 15 minutes ago. Uh. Yeah, I definitely did not. I definitely didn't wake up. It's a Shoddy Dave, you just made a big move across the country. I certainly have, and it was uh, as fun as any house move can be. Not very. <laughs> I can see the background there. Your house looks nice. You found it. You must have found yeah, a good spot. Not too bad. Little village called Bidash. Nice in the Basque region. I think it's about thousand two hundred people living here. The cycling looks absolutely awesome. And you can sort of see the start of the foothill of the Pyrenees not too far away. So, yeah, can't wait to get out on the bike. I love the Basque region, Shadi. Oh, it's mega. The Basque region it's is so cool. absolutely mega. Best food, lovely people. I'm a little bit jealous of that. <laughs> Do you should be. Dead Cash, how are you this week? Well, a little chilly, but otherwise fine. Wish I was in southwestern France with with the uh, water and the mountains. That's, that'd be nice. But no, it's a little chilly here in Colorado. It's it's finally chilly in Colorado. I guess I can't really complain because it's been like unseasonably warm for the past forever. Yeah, we're finally getting some snow, which is excellent. And back from vacation slash holiday, if we're talking with our Australian colleagues, James Wong, how are you? I'm kind of wishing I was still on vacation personally. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yeah, vacation. It's almost, almost the holiday season. We get a little break here. It's not that it's not that I don't enjoy what I do, but not doing anything was really a lot more pleasant. I mean, but yeah, but va vacation is better than work. Like it, it doesn't is. matter how it fun is. your job is. It is <laughs> doing whatever you want all day every day is still vastly superior. Uh, and yet, nobody nobody has offered up a trust fund to me just yet. Uh, I'm I'm disappointed by that. I would like one, and yet nobody, nothing, not a single person has offered one. I could offer you a trust fund, Kelly. There won't be there won't be very much money in it. <laughs> How about a sugar daddy? <laughs> uh, my my public educator wife is is not really gonna fit the bill there, Shadi. Unfortunately. Anyway, let's get into let's get into today's show. But before we do, Shadi Dave, what are we learning about Continental this week? To be brutally honest, I haven't got a clue because the internet is that bad that I cannot actually open a second window <laughs> on my phone as well as having 
this conversation with you. So I could quite easily make it up. Or I could also pass it over to somebody who's actually got all the words in front of him. <laughs> Sounds like Dane's reading our ad again. Today. I don't know. I Dane, think Charlie should make about? it up. I was going to say, I, I kind of like the making it up idea. Right, you ready then? Continental. It's that company who make tires from uh, dandelions. Yeah. If you go back to earlier on in the uh, the year, we tell you about that. Eco-friendly and all that. They've even got an, uh, a big old patch of dandelions out the front of the factory that they, they make the tires from. Black chili compound, something else that they do. Grip, speed, the job lot, whatever you want. What else have we learned this year, people? Uh, oh, Terra X tires, super duper. That was great. I think in a, I think in addition, in addition to Shadi's superb Continental ad, Dane, maybe you have something slightly more formal for he us. He hit on some of the key points, so that's good. Uh, he's clearly been doing this uh, for long enough that he's he's already a good spokesperson. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, over the last couple of years, we've seen gravel grow in popularity, not only in the USA. They even enjoy throwing it into the Grand Tours these days. Uh, if getting off the beaten path is your thing, then Continental can get you there. If you prefer sticking to gravel, there's the Terra Trail or Terra Speed tires just for you. We actually used the Terra Speed tires at our gravel bike field test last year. Both are available in 700C or 650B options. And the Terra Speed even comes in a tan wall, if that spins your wheels. If you're going full mullet, you could use the Cross King for grip and speed on gnarly trails. You could even run 2.2 or 2.3 widths, if your wheels and frame can fit them, that is. Whichever Continental tire you choose, they use the legendary black chili compound to keep you on the road without big rolling resistance. So when you're hitting the road, wrap your wheels in some Conti gravel goodness. Thanks to Continental for sponsoring the podcast. Superb work, Dane. Thank Superb you. work. All right. Let's get into today's episode. Should we start with Patrick Lefevre? Is that, is that what we want to start with? Start with a downer, and you can only go up from there, can't you? <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Who wants to give me the backstory here? Who wants to tell me? So I should say that, that so we, we broke this story. Specifically, uh, Jose Bean broke this story after an interview with Lefevre. Um, she's also involved, I should say, in sort of the, the interest of full disclosure with the team in question. But Dane, what, what, what's going on here? Yeah, I think, long story short, Patrick Lefebvre is going to be backing a women's team. Uh, he had been asked numerous times over and over and over again over the past several years about whether he would be involved in the creation of a women's team. He's, of course, for those who don't know, the, the manager of the uh, the team currently known as Dekunik Quickstep for the next 24, 23 days. Uh, it will be Quickstep Alpha Vinyl next year. Uh yeah, he has long said that he was not going to be doing this. He said some things about it that are uh, questionable. Uh, and then, yeah, last week uh, he told Jose, uh, maybe he told Jose even before this, uh, but we, we published a story about this last week, that he would be backing a team. Yeah, so it's a company uh, that Lefevre sort of uh, co-runs, uh, Experza, is going to back the the uh, currently existing NXTG team, and uh, like you could say join forces with it. So a company that Lefevre backs is now going to back uh, a women's development team. 
Uh, Abby, what's the what's the response been from the the professional peloton here? I I I, I saw one tweet. I think it was from Chloe Hosking that retweeted our story that just said hell has frozen over. Is that the general gist of it? I think the general feeling is ugh, because yeah, he said some pretty nasty stuff last season or this, the beginning of this season about sponsoring a women's team and how he didn't run a charity and it, it the timeliness of him sponsoring, uh, the next gen team is, I mean, he's not doing it because he believes in women's cycling. We all know that. Like, that's pretty clear in everything he said before. So, I mean, my personal opinion is women's cycling does not need more of these assholes so he can stay in his corner. But, hey, I mean, he's coming in with a ton of money, I assume. He's sponsoring a U23 women's team, which there are none of. So there are positives to this there's like a silver lining. I just hope he has no involvement, like no involvement at all. Mm. Has that, has that been the general response from, from other professional women? Do you think has there been much chatter on that, on that subject? Yeah, I think so. Ignoring it? I think people are kind of ignoring it. I think for the most part, people are, uh, are just kind of like, well, the sport is growing and it's getting better, but clearly we're not able to, you know, keep him out. Um, I, I, yeah, I think the, the general consensus is just, we don't really want him in the sport. Women don't really want him in the sport. Um, and, but there's not much that can be done obviously. So. Yeah. And just to sort of to clarify, so it's basically, it's a, he's, Putting some money in via a company that he runs. It's not necessarily that he's going to go be like the GM or something like that, right? It, it's a, it's a, it appears to just be a cash play and linking up with a team that already exists. Yeah, linking up with a team that already exists and putting some cash in via one of the businesses that he is associated with. Um, so that company that, that he, well, basically has money and is part of, is called Expurza. Uh, NXTG is the existing team. And Sylvie Anrad, I believe I'm, we're saying that correctly, is sounds like she's going to be the one, and she's worked with Lefevre for quite a long time. Sounds like she's going to be the one that will be having more direct contact with this team, I think, uh, and probably have a little bit more hands-on uh, with the team. So, so given all of this, and given the fact that like the Forever is probably not going to have you know sort of a, a, any any real direct tie to this team other than financial, I think we we believe is this sort of like a an attempt at I don't know what's the, what's the equivalent of uh like greenwashing for like equity and inclusion what what's the what's the equivalent I don't I don't know what the term is. But is it that? Is is this just like an attempt? You know, he's like he's Lefevre's gotten a fair amount of bad press over the last year and a half. He keeps writing these things that get picked picked up, particularly outside of the Netherlands and Belgium, and, and he gets he gets you know raked over the coals for them, rightfully. Right? He says idiotic things in uh in his column at, is is in Het Newsblad, and he just says idiotic things on a regular basis anyway. So he's had a fair amount of of bad press over the last couple of years, particularly in areas related to women's cycling, lots of other things, the Ilio Kaisa incident. Uh, 
Abby, you mentioned previously the the quotes around not you know not being uh, not running a charity, so he could not run a women's team, stuff like that. Is this a a do we think this is a genuine attempt to improve cycling? Which when I spoke to Jose, she's she's not totally dismissing that, or is this just you know an attempt to essentially like plaster over? A, a string of bad publicity. It, it, can I it be think both? The latter, probably. Is it possible that's both? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I think he's um, part of this is Deconic, right? Leaving leaving his team and sponsoring Albison Phoenix Plantapura because he wouldn't have a women's team, and them being very clear about um, Patrick as Patrick. Um, so I think part of this is kind of like a, well, screw you. Look, I'm doing something. But I, and I do think, like, jumping back a second, that he won't have anything to do with the team and he probably doesn't have any interest in being involved in the team. Um, so if there is success from this team, which there will be, because it's an incredible group of young women and also their new director is Jolene DeHora from SD Works. So... Uh, but I, but I do think like this is not—he's not doing this because he's like, you know what? Women's cycling is growing. I think, I think I need to get behind it. He hasn't had a change of heart, you don't think? No, absolutely not. Are you kidding? Have you heard the things that I, come out of his mouth? Like I, I <laughs> that am guy kidding. doesn't change I'm at all. Kidding, yeah, <laughs> no, he's not like <laughs> he's kidding. not going to therapy and seeing the error of his ways. All right, he's like, <laughs> yeah, I think that ship has sailed for this guy. Can't teach an old dog new tricks, I don't think. I'm in 100% uh, percent agreement with Abby, and I can't understand where he's found the money because this is a man who often complains that he can't get a sponsor so he can bring on even more talent to his men's team. So he, it's got to be a, a small amount of money for him to be putting in, but a large amount for NXT because this team has been a development squad um, is a development squad. And I, I walked the pits at uh, Roubaix this year and ch- went over and actually talked to them guys. And it seemed that a lot of people there were doing it for for the love of the sport. Their bikes weren't anything special at all. They were one of the sort of middling range Pinarellos. They, they had spare wheels. They actually had spare wheels from Ineos. Ineos were actually helping them at Roubaix with the service on the race at all, at all the sectors. They had all their old, all, all their old rim brake wheels stacked up in a couple of Ineos cars. Um, so it actually surprises me that Ineos haven't thrown a little bit of money in actually to help this team rather than Lefebvre. Because the, t- the, 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 the link between this team and Ineos is... The team was started by, um, how do I pronounce his name? Uh, Sven Knaven? Snervis Knaven. Snervis Knaven. Cut that bit out. Um, Mal. Snervis Knaven. <laughs> Close enough. Um, <laughs> Snervis Knaven. You put an extra N in there for some reason. Snervis. <laughs> no can- s- I mean, Snervis is funny too. <laughs> too. <laughs> He's a director sportive at Ineos and the only link I can really see between 
uh, him setting this team up and Lefebvre is that he used to ride for Domo Farm Freaks back in the uh, uh, early 2000s. Uh, to take that cynical view that uh, Lefebvre is just doing this for the for the PR, uh, it's worth pointing out it's it's not that expensive to get this PR because not only is it a women's team, which in comparison to running a men's team is significantly less expensive, it's a women's development team. So yeah, I, I don't think he's putting in that much money. And I think if you're Patrick Lefebvre and you are trying to figure out a way to, you know, get some good press after a lot of bad press, at least uh, as you point out, Kaylee, in the, in the sort of Anglosphere media, um, it's probably not that heavy of an investment from him to get this good press because compared to running to kind of quick step, I would imagine he doesn't have to put all that much money up to run a women's under 23 cycling team, which yeah, a little bit of a cynical take on the situation, but I think it's pretty inexpensive for him to, to do this, to make this gesture. I, I would say that's very accurate. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to harp on this for too long. Uh, I think it's an interesting development I mean, I, I, you know, from, from cynical maneuvers, sometimes good things do result. Right. I mean, more money for a team like this is in the end a good thing, particularly if if, you know, there's no other negative impacts. If it's just cash. Great. I think we'll just have to sort of wait and see how it goes. Uh, like like Abby, like you said, got a great director. They've got some great riders and now they've got a bit more cash than they had before. So maybe the end result is positive, even if the motivations were not necessarily uh, all that positive. Let's move on. There was some cyclocross over the weekend and the big sort of headlines for, you know, the cycling tips audience, which is primarily, primarily roadies, I would say, is some of the biggest names in road racing came back to the cyclocross course. We had Tom Pidcock back. We had Walt Von Aert back. Dane, how did they do? Well, Von Aert won. I feel like that's a pretty good sign that he's doing fine, Um, which... If you've been following the the cross scene, you know that there have been uh, other people. Other people have been winning races, not Van Art and and Vanderpool and, and Tom Peacock. Um, you know, Lars Vanderhaar has been having a really nice season, and, and Eli Eiserbit and, and Tone Ertz have been you know kind of contending for the wins. But as soon as Van Art came back, he destroyed everybody. Uh, he won the Super Prestige Bome by one minute and forty seconds. It was not close. Uh, he destroyed the field, and I think there is probably a sense that, oh, okay, well, that was fun while well, he wasn't around. Um, but with him here and Pitcock and, and then uh, Vanderpool eventually, things are going to change a little bit. So, yeah, Wadfinar took the win in the men's race. On the women's side, Lucinda Brand continued her impressive stretch with a nice solo win. She's had quite a few wins this season. Uh, both races, very muddy. Uh, so, you know, that's nice. Get some real, real cyclocross uh, conditions. It was a little wet uh, and very muddy. And yeah, at the end of the day, Wife on Art and Lucinda Brandt took the wins at Super Prestige Boom. You know, on the tech side, Wife on Art was raising the new Cervelo R5CX. If you haven't listened to the latest Nerd Alert podcast, uh, it's all about that bike. So you can check that out. But it was two days after the official launch of the bike that he won on it. Pretty cool. Solid plug. Solid plug, Abby. Well done. Pretty good timing. And and clearly, had he not been riding that bike, he would have lost by about 20 seconds. I mean, that bike is obviously good for about two minutes in, in an hour. <laughs> he actually he crashed right near the end of the race, too, and still won by like a minute and 40. It, it, like, the, the, I think uh, our social editor, Mike, put up 
a string of photos of the crash and he does sort of like this backflip back flop thing not a flip not a flip back flop thing yeah it still got up and won by what a minute and 42 seconds so not really a close competition in that particular event well that's our cyclocross coverage for the week what a minute and a half that's what we that's what we tend to give and then people yell at us on the internet sorry it was like so muddy that you can't even see what team he rides for. Like he's just, he's, I mean, his, his face, his arms, his legs, he's like completely, you can just see kind of like a tint of red under the mud on his like stomach. It was so it's, it's, muddy. He also wears the, you know, the Belgian national Jersey, which kind of further sort of makes it, makes it a little bit harder to tell who he is. He's just some guy who's off the front, you know, destroying everybody in this race. And, <laughs> This is what cross should look like. I mean, that that's the conditions that you want in cyclocross. This is why this is why I have such an issue with it starting in like end of August. It's a I ridiculous. Don't, I thing. don't necessarily agree with you, Kaylee. I feel like the the dry races are actually super fun to watch because tactics come into play and it's like they're a lot faster. It's not a, it's like less chaos and more like bike racing. It's closer to road racing, is what you're saying. Oh. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I just yeah, understand yeah. it more, I guess, that way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move on from the week in cyclocross. Uh, we've got another professional, not retiring, but moving into the gravel scene. Uh, you may have spotted this story up on the site last week. Uh, I called up Nathan Haas, who has been racing in the Pro Peloton for just about a decade, I believe. Uh, raced with various iterations of Slipstream and closed out his road career with Kofidis. And next year is making the switch to gravel, is becoming a privateer. So rather than talk too much about this, because we, you know, we've talked about this, I think, extensively. We've got we've got Pete Stetton already has made this move. We've got Ian Boswell's already made this move. Let's just hear from let's hear from Nathan. We'll 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 drop in one answer. It's one of the questions I asked him last week, uh, real quick here, and in his own words, why he's making the switch. Tell me what, why? Tell me why you wanted to do that. I mean, you, you know, you, you're, I read your your blog, and it's very much like the, the 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 thrust of it is like you were very well taken care of for a very long time, right? So why do you want to take care of yourself now? What what's the what's the drive there? I guess the drive, if I can say it in the simplest terms, is that thinking about it has given me drive. And I think the last decade in the world tour has been fantastic. But I think what happens is you kind of go into this point in your early career where you're like, I wonder where my ceiling is. Like, I wonder how high that ceiling is. What can I do? And then you get to like, you know, maybe one that's your first fifth. And then you hit your second fifth and you're like, Hey, this ceiling's getting pretty high. Like, this is cool. Like let's, let's keep going. Like the drive is to see now what I can actually do with first of all, what I've learned now capitalizing on that, but is there still some left? And then there's sort of that like third fifth where all of a sudden you're like, okay, this is a pretty good level, but it's now becoming evident that I'm not Peter Sagan. Right. <laughs> You're like, okay, like I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that just keeps developing endlessly and is just going to become, you know, one of the world's most famous writers from their results. Um, and then you hit that fourth, fifth where you're like, oh, wow, like it's taken me a lot of work to even 
get back to that last thirds level. Like it's not as, not only have I stopped progressing, but like there's signs of regression and it's like taking a lot of effort to boost that ceiling. Um, or on the other side of the coin is maybe the other guys around us have gotten so good that like, you know, I'm not so good anymore relative to the, the level in the peloton. Um, and then there was that final fifth of my career, which would I would say would be the the last two years with Cofidis, where I'd just been working for guys and they're not winning. Um, you know, I was part of one victory in two years at Cofidis. So it wasn't even just that I wasn't winning. It was just like I wasn't part of anything that made me feel like, you know, you were in a winning space. Um, and you don't have to win a race to be in a winning space, you know. You'd have, but it just became self-evident to me that I just didn't have as much drive in road as I used to have. Um, and I've started doing lots of gravel riding. And as you know, I've been gravel riding for ages. But the more I do, it's just so addictive. And then I did a couple of gravel events this year. And, like, I got nerves. <laughs> like, I actually was nervous. And I was like, holy shit. These are the nerves I had in my, like, first and second third, you know. And then ego kicks in in third and fourth fifth of my career where you're like trying to see exactly what you can be. But I, I lost that like young man's hunger and the coolest thing with gravel is I've got it back. And I just, I, I feel, I feel like on a really um, basic level, you should be doing what you want to do. And I, you know, it, it sounds really like, I, I know I sound like a bit of a tool to infer that like, I don't want to be in the world tour. And it's not that I'm saying that, just I do know that I've only got so many years left at you know the, the kind of age range where I really can be one of you know the world's best athletes at something um and I sort of just feel like that's not going to happen anymore in road like the young guys have gotten so good and I'm just not feeling it like I used to but with gravel I'm really feeling it and I know that with that I can take that to these big races and just see exactly how far I can go in a sport that's defining itself. There was an interesting announcement yesterday, Monday, December 6th, uh, that Peter Sagan and Sportful, kit manufacturer Sportful, which is sort of a his sister company to Castelli. I think they're actually owned by the same same company. Sport, they've, they've signed a 10-year kit deal with Peter Sagan, Sportful and Peter Sagan today, 10-year kit deal. Now, this is, uh, I think, unusual for a number of reasons. One, you don't tend to see kit deals with riders like this. Generally, kit deals are done with with teams, right? Now, Peter Sagan has, has sort of reached this point where he kind of transcends a lot of the teams that, he, that he's actually on, so that's probably a big part of why that bit works. But the 10 years part is the other interesting thing to me because I mean, Peter Sagan's 31 years old. I don't think he loves road racing to the point that he is going to pull a Alejandro Valverde and race into his 40s on the road. I don't see that happening, which means that 10 years from now, when he is 41 years old, he will not be racing on the road. And Sportful, I would think, has to know that and has to... A bit of that roadmap has to be part of this contract. So 
maybe somebody out there knows now when Peter Sagan is planning on retiring or when he's planning on switching to gravel or when he's planning on switching to mountain bikes or whatever he's going to do. Because this 10-year deal, I think, would indicate that that you know that that roadmap has been created, that the, the plan is at least loosely in place for whatever Peter's gonna do post-road racing. I can't are you guys with me? I, I just can't see him doing world tour racing 10 years from now. I don't think he's going to be still racing in a decade. I'm just wondering, it's very vague when you say 10 year deal. Does that, what does that mean? I mean, does it mean you're going to pay him a ton of money or does it mean you're going to pay him basically the amount of money that you would normally pay somebody for four years? And like the contract says 10 years, but you're not really paying a whole lot of money for that. Cause he's not actually competing. I, I don't know how much that really tells us. Well, if I think if you take it at face value and say that, that Sportful is sponsoring Peter Sagan for the next 10 years, um, then, yeah, Kaylee, I'm with you. That I think that indicates a lot as to what his intentions are moving forward with his racing career because, yeah, let's say he moves to a team that isn't sponsored by Sportful. They're, they're not going to let him wear a completely different clothing brand than the rest of the team. That's just not going to happen. So the only way that would work is if it's already known behind the scenes that he is going to go out and do his own thing. But Total Direct Energy are using Sportful this year. Um, they they came over with him already, as well as Specialized. Right, but but but, but they're not. But that's not. He's not going to race on that team for the next ten years, and he's not likely going to be racing on a road team that is going to be sponsored by Sportful Clothing for the next ten years. That's just not going to happen. Hey, it, it, it's probably going to go down the route of doing a bit of skiing because Sportful also do those winter sports stuff, don't they? The skiing, the cross country skiing, downhill skiing, all that sort of stuff. So you never know. It might seem going down that route. <laughs> He's going to do a reverse rug glitch and go into a uh, ski exactly. jump. Exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just I I think that this is in indicating to us that well, one, we already know that he's not going to be racing uh, at the world tour level for ten years, but it means that I think that he's been thinking about what he's going to do post world tour because I don't think Sportful would come on with a ten year deal. You know, whatever that means, like you, like you say, Dane, it's it's pretty. It could mean all sorts of different things, but I don't think they're going to come on and, and announce a 10 year deal like this. They would just not announce it. Right. Unless that there's something post world tour racing that has been discussed that they want to be involved in. And we happen to know, at least in the North American side, that Sportful is very into gravel at the moment. Uh, they sponsor Pete Stetna already. Uh, they've involved, but we've done a bunch of projects with them on the, on the gravel space. It, it, you know, I'm I'm kind of putting two and two together to equal four here, but I do think that that's that seems like a reasonable, I don't know, a reasonable guess that you know in the next couple of years, whenever his his, well, I think he's got a two year contract uh, with Total Direct Energy, I believe. Whenever that's up, I'm sure there's a decision to be made as to whether they would they would re up that or not. But like you say, James, he's not going to go. Oh, I'm going to go sign for Quick Step for the last couple of years of my my career because he'd have to bring Sportful with him, and that suddenly gets very very complicated. And I just don't see that happening. So I think that this is probably the last team that Peter Sagan rides for in the World Tour, and they're not in the World Tour uh, in road racing, I should say. Uh, yeah, it's probably the last the last road team that he rides for, and then he goes on and does something else probably off-road and plus it's it's never been a secret that peter sagan has really been primarily a road racer for the last however many years at this point basically for the money because he was good at it i mean he he started out 
riding mountain bikes. He competed in the Olympics in mountain biking. Like his, clearly his passions lie elsewhere than road racing. 100%. Plus, uh, when he did sign for, when they announced that he'd signed for uh, Total Energies, he, he did say that he was going to do a bit of an alternative calendar. Whether that pans out as said, we don't, we, we will find out. He's going to transition into a, being a professional snooker player. Is it? <laughs> that will be a very alternative season. I mean, <laughs> you can watch him on Eurosport. To, to sort of return to the Nathan Haas stuff that we, that we heard from earlier, you know, like Nathan's perspective on gravel racing is quite different from, I think, a lot of the American pros' perspective on gravel racing uh, in that he's pretty excited about, like, UCI gravel series, and he's pretty excited about a world championship for gravel. And I wonder if other other racers who don't come from the sort of U.S. gravel scene and, and sort of understand that more intimately, whether something like that is particularly interesting, like whether we see Peter Sagan go and, and try to win gravel worlds this year, right? I mean, it, it, you know, Shadi, like you said, he's, he's, he's talked about this alternative calendar, a bit of, a bit of more, a bit more diversity in, in the types of races that he's doing. Is he going to be at gravel worlds this year? Vanderpol said the other day that he's considering it. Uh, you know, we, we could have, I think a pretty interesting kind of lineup at, at an event like that. And we could see more and more pros, you know, kind of straddling the two perhaps, or, doing like Haas has done and, and, and jumping off, uh, you know, jumping off a, a road team and into the sort of privateer life. I think it's just going to continue to continue to happen. One, because like we heard from Haas earlier, there, there's sort of, there's motivation there for a lot of riders to do something like this, particularly if they come from an off-road space, which Haas and Sagan both do. And there's a bunch of marketing cash available for them to put these, these kind of teams together, particularly if they already have a pretty, pretty big name. There's, you know, the industry wants to spend in gravel. That's, that's where the, that's the bikes that they're selling and they want to spend there. And so I think that, that clever riders can put something together in the next couple of years that, that makes sense. That is maybe not, doesn't have much to do with the, you know, spirit of gravel that comes from the United States and the, and the, the unsupported nature of a lot of the races over here, but you know, tilts more toward whatever new gravel is. I, I think that there's some, you can draw some parallels here actually between early mountain bike stuff in the States versus in Europe where, you know, Europe kind of grabbed hold of cross country mountain biking and really changed it, like dramatically changed it in the late nineties, early two thousands and, and owned it for a very long time. And I wonder if that's going to start to happen in the gravel space. I don't know if it will, but you start to get enough big sort of worldwide names racing that type of event and suddenly unbound is less important, I guess. I don't know. We'll have to keep an eye on it. Uh, speaking of worldwide names, Kaylee, uh, Matthew Vanderpool said the other day that he was interested in racing the UCI Gravel World Championships. He was talking to GCN in an interview and they asked him if he was thinking about it. Uh, he didn't give a very uh, broad answer. It, it was not a long answer, but he said it without any hesitation whatsoever uh, that he is, yes, thinking about racing the Gravel World Championships, which I would love to see that. But it would also, I think that would uh, that would draw quite a response from the the gravel community and the people who, you know, something, something spirit of gravel. Uh, yeah, but it would be really interesting to watch him uh, mixing it up with some of those other big names. And another sign of him clearly having a diverse array of, of, uh, of cycling disciplines that he is interested in, 
he's already a contender across three of them. Uh, but but uh, yeah, why not four? Why not four? I, I mean, I, yeah, I think I think it's very likely to to go and give it a shot, uh, depending on how he feels at the end of the season. But I, I like it, you know. I, people are people keep talking about sort of the you know the racing aspect and and road racers coming and quote unquote ruining gravel, and I, I just don't think that that's the case. I just I just don't. I think you know the gravel event for us where we just go and try to finish still will exist whether there's people in front of us going fast or not. I don't think that that has any impact on what the rest of the folks at a gravel event are doing. I think that both can coexist peacefully if, uh, if, if we're even a little bit careful about it. I just think you'll get two completely different scenes. The European scene will be more heavily focused on racing. Just purely because like Europe is the, the racing capital of the world. And then the American one will be very much more, uh, yeah, you, you chill back sort of unbound sort of stuff, I would have thought. Because you don't have the terrain in Europe like unbound. Yeah, I think that's probably the way it'll, it'll end up splitting. And, and that's, that's why I come back to some of the early, early mountain bike stuff and how early mountain biking kind of split that direction as well. You know, like we went from an American style cross country racing that was sort of big laps and three hour races and, and whatever else. And, when it when when the Euros kind of got a hold of it, all of a sudden it turned into, you know, fifteen minute laps and uh, a very different style of course and much more manicured and yeah, just a very different feel to the whole sport. And I think that that there's some there's some rough sort of equivalences that we can draw between what happened in Malbec scene and and what is probably about to happen in in gravel. But we should move on from that topic. That that's probably worth an entire episode on its own, to be honest. And we and we can dig into that perhaps. And not to talk about another uh, another podcast, but the cycling podcast actually recently did a, a good episode on that front. Uh, whoa, 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 Kaylee, you were on the cycling podcast recently, and now you are advertising the cycling podcast. I don't know. I'm you're concerning me a little bit here. I'm out. Going to the cycling podcast. Transfer news. No, that's not true. <laughs> Richard called me at a Walmart and that's exactly it. I was like, sure, I'll talk to gravel. I'll talk about gravel with you for 12 minutes. Uh, no, but it's, it's a good episode. Like go check it out. And I think that, uh, if you've got sort of questions about where gravel is going, they actually did, they did a good job over there. I have no problem talking about our competitors, Dane. I'm confident enough that our listeners yeah, aren't going to go flocking over to the cycling podcast, never to return. Yeah, all right, all right. I think they'll be back. Yeah. You can go listen to that episode and then no more episodes. And leave them negative reviews on iTunes. How about that? I'm glad you feel that way, Kaylee, because I have little vo- I have little voodoo dolls made up of all of our competitors that I stab daily. <laughs> uh, just poke Richard Moore in the belly with a with a pin. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we got a couple other small small news items before we wrap up here uh, and head over to our nerd nugget. Cavs signed a one year deal. Dane. Yeah, we finally uh, knew this was going to happen because Lefevre said so. In an interview, I, I always wonder, I mean, does, does Lefebvre go over these things with his PR people? He says a lot of things publicly that I would expect. Well, first of all, that I expect him not to say. We've already gone over this before. But then he, would all, he also goes out of his way to kind of break news pretty often. And then the, the official announcement comes out a few days later. And I always wonder, I mean, is he talking to the PR people, telling them, hey, just so you know, I'm going to break this news. Get ready. Or does he just do this off the cuff and they have to scramble? Anyway, he said a few days ago that he had signed Mark Cavendish to a one-year deal after this very lengthy uh, contract negotiation period. 
but yeah, finally, uh, of course, Cav had a, a really bad crash recently and, and sustained multiple injuries, but uh, finally has signed on for another year with Quickstep Alpha Vinyl, which I think, you know, we talked about this already, but it's going to be interesting to see how the team manages having both him and, well, a number of other talented riders, uh, but Fabio Jakobsen as well with Tour de France uh, aspirations. But yeah, Cav is going to be sticking around at least for one year uh, at Quickstep. Any other little news bits that we need to discuss before we move on? Well, yeah, just today, so we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, uh, just today, Tij Benot officially out at DSM. We had already heard, again, that this is something that had been reported, uh, he, that he was joining the long and illustrious list of talented riders leaving that team, the, the former Giant Alpeson slash Sunweb slash DSM team, uh, early. And yeah, it's, it's been official as of Tuesday. He is gone, headed elsewhere. And there's your news wrap-up. Before we move on, we do have another sponsor of today's episode. Dane, Hammerhead, what do I need to know? You need to know that the Hammerhead Carew 2 is a next-generation cycling computer that brings the power of advanced GPS navigation and intuitive software right to your handlebars. You can see your data clearly with a high-res, full-color smartphone-like screen, the touchscreen display is beautiful, responsive, and gives you on-the-go flexibility. It's even water and scratch resistant. Crew 2's advanced and industry-leading mapping, navigation, and routing capabilities set it apart from other GPS options so you can explore with confidence. Seamlessly import routes from Strava, Komoot, and more, and routing, rerouting, or pin-drop routing are all available. Hammerhead's exclusive climber feature lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time. Climber was designed and developed in collaboration with the world's best climbers. Tens of thousands of cyclists have chosen the fully loaded climber-equipped Karoo 2 as their trusted riding companions, including Chris Froome, Flora Duffy, Magalie Rochette, and Justin Williams. For a limited time, Hammerhead has an incredible deal. Buy a Carew 2 at hammerhead.io slash trade-in and get up to $170 US when you trade in your current cycling computer. That's a rebate of up to $170 when you trade up to a Carew 2 from Hammerhead and trade in your current cycling computer. And if you don't want to trade in or if you want to gift a Carew 2, you can get $50 off a new Carew 2 instead. Get your limited time Carew 2 discount today at hammerhead.io slash trade-in. Day now, which is a... How much is a, a cat eye mitty free trading then? What do I get for that? <laughs> a nice little av- No, not an avocet, set, but that would be worth a pretty penny. Depends on what color it is, Shadi. Yeah. Was the MIDI 3 the wired one or the wireless one? I think it was a, a wired one, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. I, I miss the old wired computers. That's how you could tell you had a good mechanic, if the, if they, if the wiring looked good. All the way down your fork. They always worked. I also want to know if always if Carew, if they've got the name from Bedknobs and Broomsticks, the movie by Disney, because I'm pretty sure in that there's a the the little boy shouts Carew for some reason. I can't remember. So yeah, Dane, get on to him, ask him the question. That's will a you? very random reference. <laughs> That's an extremely random reference. Good movie though. <laughs> Moving on. Thanks, Hammerhead. Thanks, Hammerhead, for sponsoring today's episode. You make a very good computer, and I like the little screen. It's great. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. James, what are we chatting about in today's Nerd Nugget? Sounds like we're getting into some, not quite politics, but uh, government. 
It's kind of, well, yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it because uh, there's a big piece of legislature that is uh, being, that has been proposed for quite a while now in the U.S. government. Uh, it's, it's part of uh, President Joe Biden's Build Back Better bill. Um, and while there is obviously a lot of controversy surrounding that, uh, I would say among the cycling crew, there should be less controversy around one piece that is included in that right now, which is a, uh, a fully refundable tax credit for, uh, for e-bikes. Uh, there are obviously some limitations on this. Uh, the maximum tax credit is uh, up to 900 U.S. dollars, and there are income caps uh, for uh, for joint filers and individuals. Uh, and then there are also caps for the amount of money that you can spend on a bike. For example, e-bikes that cost more than 4,000 U.S. Uh, are no, they won't qualify for the tax credit, but. Um, for less expensive e-bikes, and we've talked about Rad Power in particular quite a lot on the podcast uh, in the last few weeks, um, reasonably priced, or I guess lower priced e-bikes like that would very much be, uh, would very much fall on, uh, under this tax credit if it actually goes through, uh, which could have some pretty major implications for e-bike adoption in the U.S. as far as people using them for general transportation and errands and stuff like that. It doesn't do anything. That tax credit doesn't do anything for infrastructure to make people feel safer riding those bikes, but uh, it does give people some financial incentive to purchase an e-bike potentially. I mean, if it's a $900 credit, you could get the the cheapest rad powers for free. It's a, it's free. a it's a percentage. Thirty percent. Uh, yeah. So yeah, to, to uh, clarify, it's up to nine hundred. It's up to nine hundred dollars. It's which is still a huge amount of. It's savings. thirty. It's thirty yeah. percent. So you could get you could get a thousand dollar bike for six six seven hundred bucks seven hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or or like you know up to a four thousand dollar cargo bike for example if you can find one for four grand uh, you would get nine hundred bucks off of that which is a substantial chunk of change and which very very well could be the the little push that that a lot of people need to finally go ahead and get one. Interesting, interesting. It'd be interesting to talk to some of the bike industry about how they might how they might shift their uh their offerings or their or their prices perhaps i mean if you've got a, if you've got a bike that currently sells for 4200 bucks wouldn't it behoove you to make it 39999 100% <laughs> to make sure that you that you qualify for this thing 100% i mean, I, I imagine that the the bike industry would probably react to this positively uh and and man 900 bucks is is a, is a lot if you're going to buy a bike at that at that price range. Uh, if, if anyone wants to go and jump on YouTube and check the video out, I did uh, Eurobike with, about cargo bikes. There was a similar situation in, I'm trying, I think, I want to say, uh, one of the, one of the in, in the Netherlands, one of the uh, major cities there, that they did a scheme where you, there was a thousand euros off cargo bikes and e-bikes. And it, it changed, it, it, it actually changed them. Um, it was it was the beginning of allowing the city to change their infrastructure as well. More people on the bikes; they had to change infrastructure. It was it was a really good scheme. Hmm. I mean, it sounds positive all around. I don't really see any negatives to this one, but uh... I mean, people I'm sure will clamor about how uh, you know it's just the government spending more money and you know, so on and so forth. Um, but we've had this electric car incentive here in the U.S. for a very long time now, um, and and I haven't looked at exact statistics on this, but at least for me personally, I mean, that that was really the only way I would have considered buying an electric car for quite a while. 
um, because for a lot of them, there was up to like a $7,500 tax credit that was available. Um, I mean, a lot of those are phased out now, depending on how many, you know, which, which brand and how many cars they've sold and whatever. But it was a big, big chunk of money. And in a lot of cases, it would bring a car that was like, you know, like 40 grand or whatever down to a some somewhat reasonable amount of money at that point. And I think for e-bikes, it could really present the same issue because that is a big stumbling block for a lot of people is just how expensive a lot of them are. So, I mean, I, I obviously and kind of obviously have selfish reasons to see this go through just for that little bit. Um, but I think some sort of tax credit like that really could have a pretty massive influence on the adoption of e-bikes in the in the United States. Yeah, I mean, we've sort of identified this before that there's, there's sort of a couple avenues to improvement, right? One is the infrastructure side and the other is essentially getting just more people on bikes. And, and the two are very closely tied together. Like one, one goes with the other, right? You put more people on bikes and just as Shadi said, you end up with better infrastructure because you have more people clamoring for it. So it, it could have knock-on effects that, that are sort of what we're hoping for as well. One of the things that sort of annoyed me out of the recent climate conference was that there was so much discussion of electric vehicles, but they're all cars, right? And there was very little discussion of the humble bicycle, which we've seen, granted, it's not going to work for everybody. If you live in a rural area, it's not really, you know, the e-bike is not going to be the solution for you probably. But, you know, in cities all over America, all over the world, there doesn't seem to have been enough focus from like the real powers that be, right? Not us. We're, we're irrelevant here, really. The, the real powers that be discussing alternatives to just the electric car, which has its downsides, right? I mean, we know that these things are, they're, they're incredibly energy intensive to, to produce. They're difficult to recycle slash impossible to recycle at this point in time. Most of the components, they have their own issues. They may not produce CO2 out of a tailpipe, but I'll still ride a bike. I much prefer a bike uh, for environment, environmental reasons when, I, when I'm getting around town here. I mean, it's, I just put in my, my 10 products I love this week that we've got that urban era, the same, same bike that you've got, James, and we, we just don't drive in town anymore. And that's, that's to me seems like it needs to be the end goal. And I feel like, I guess I, I'm, I'm pleased that something like this has made it into national legislation, not just sort of little you know, local city stuff or, 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 or local town incentives, because it shows that at least somebody up there is, is thinking about this. Right. I mean, ultimately, as much as you can you know, fairly easily make the argument that electric cars are, by and large, largely more environment, more environmentally friendly than internal combustion engine cars. It's still a car. Um, and I think ultimately the point is to tailor your vehicle more appropriately to the task at hand uh, whenever possible. And if this sort of thing is what provides the bump to get people to consider a bike instead of a car, whatever it's propelled by, then, I mean, that seems like a good thing to me. All right. Well, the rest of the politics aside, we love this little bit. <laughs> and actually, I like a lot of things in this particular bill, but we'll leave that. We'll leave that for a politics tips uh, podcast. Ooh, that sounds like a dangerous thing to do. Let's not do that. Uh, all right. I think that's it from us today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, quick note we have just kicked off the Mark Gunter photo competition. I think anybody who's been following CT for a while now will recognize this. Uh, 
The Mark Gunter Photographer of the Year Awards were established in memory of Mark Gunter, a beloved Australian cycling photographer who died tragically young from esophageal cancer. So head over to cyclingtips.com. There's a post on the site right now. Check it out. It's also, we're going to be putting these photos up on our Instagram and the rest of our social media. Check it out there. The awards will be donated to two important causes. Cancer Research, and the Young Cyclists Alliance. Entries are 25 Aussie dollars. That's about 1750 US and about 1550 euros. And you can submit up to three images. We've got a professional category and amateur category, so you do not need to be a pro to jump in. Go check it out. The Mark Gunter Photographer of the Year Awards. And with that, uh, oh, I should really briefly mention why this has shown up late this week. So you're probably used to this podcast showing up on sort of U.S. Tuesday morning, uh, Aussie Wednesday. Uh, we're going to back that up by a day or push it back by a day during the off season. Uh, we try to keep it as close to the weekends racing as we can during the racing season. But during the off season, this gives us a bit more time to, well, come up with fun stuff to talk about. So we'll be rolling this out be Wednesday mornings U.S. until the racing season kicks off again, at which point we'll go back to a Monday evening, Tuesday morning kind of time frame. So, so, so that's three weeks, is it? Set your three, four weeks. Yeah, yeah, we got three, four weeks here. No, there's no race. There's no interesting racing happening till March, though. <laughs> We've got some time. Dane's made a face. I'm just. I'm. I'm thinking about all the emails you're going to get from cyclocross fans. All four cyclocross fans out there. Have fun getting those messages. <laughs> now I just like annoying them. I'm sorry. Not annoying them. I just, you know, I'm poking the bear a little bit here. We love Cyclocross. It's very muddy. All right, let's let's wrap up for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye-bye. See you.